everyone. Welcome back to the Evolve podcast. My name is Sasha Andrianova. I'm your host. And today I am so excited to welcome Dr. D onto the podcast. Dr. D is a doctor specializing in lung health. Uh, she's going to do a much better job than I am, um, but she has a double life as a multidimensional raver and content creator, which is how I found her. And one thing that stood out to me was just that she lives both sides so authentically. She is a doctor that shows up for her patients, that cares about her work and what she does and the way that she shows up in the space professionally and with intention. And yet she also is true to herself and the way she enjoys spending her time, her purpose, her place here on earth and just living so freely and so embodied. And I think it's just amazing because so often we don't give ourselves that kind of permission. And so it really stood out to me in the way that she gives herself permission and just lives and shares that with the world. So I'm so excited to welcome you, Dr. D, onto the podcast. Please, do you want to introduce yourself? Say hi. Oh, thank you, Sasha. I'm so grateful to be here too. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, I am a pulmonary and critical care physician by day and crazy raver by night. <laughs> oh my gosh. So let's just get right into it. What made you want to be a doctor? And then how did creating content come into that mix? Uh, thanks. So that's such a tough question to answer because it's such a long story. But I chose medicine when I was a lot younger, kind of after having a lot of travel experiences, to say in short. And so I knew that I wanted to help people and have a meaningful impact in society. And when I assessed what I was good at, I found that I really enjoyed learning through biology and anatomy, and I wanted to translate that into my career. I originally actually started off in the arts, and I was a pen and ink illustrator, and I thought that I was going to go down that pathway, but I decided to kind of keep that going, take those skills and translate that into medicine, and they just paired so beautifully. So that was kind of a, a very condensed version of my story. Content creation seems to be such a huge part of your identity. Well, one, the raver is more part of the identity, and then expressing it and sharing it is the means by which content creation comes into the picture. But how did you start to come into like, hey, I'm a doctor, but I also really enjoy raving. And I also am comfortable with sharing that with the world. That's a really funny story too. So I've always loved EDM music. And back in my day, because I am a elder millennial, in my environment, it was kind of embarrassing to admit that you liked EDM. Back then, Daft Punk was coming to rise and Skrillex, no one knew who he was. And Dead Mouse wasn't that popular either, but that was all the artists I was really into when I was very young. And it was such a hidden thing that I enjoyed that I would go to concerts by myself and I'd never had significant others who wanted to come with me or friends who wanted to go. And so that was just something I always kept for myself. And then med school hit. And so I had no time and no money to go see any shows. And I got really wrapped up in the medical world and the medical community and just put all my energy into focusing on being the best doctor that I could and getting through medical school, getting through residency, doing years of research. And then the pandemic hit and I was in fellowship. At the time I was training in Philadelphia and I was at an urban hospital and I saw the worst of it. I saw so many you know, people in my community get affected and so many lives that were lost through the pandemic. And it really taught me the value of life and that our time here on this earth is finite. And then I really questioned myself in that, was I really living? Was I really who I am on the inside as outwardly as I could be? And I wanted to kind of shift that focus. I wanted to enjoy more of life that I could. And so I took that step towards going to shows more openly. And I was really fortunate enough to make some friends in my apartment neighborhood who also shared the same interests. And we decided to go to a couple of shows together. And then it blossomed into this crazy obsession relationship of let's just go to all the shows and you know what let's just wear whatever the heck we want and have purple hair and wear tons of glitter and just do all the things that we never did that we wanted to do and so I'm fortunate enough to do all of this in my 30s with an income and still balance making a difference in my society and in my community while also expressing myself and doing the things I've always wanted to do I was afraid to show and so somehow all this led to 
content creation. And I think just like a lot of the world, I also got really wrapped up in TikTok during the pandemic. <laughs> and I selfishly, truthfully, truthfully started the TikTok account so that I could get free stuff. <laughs> so, but no, I, I got really involved in the EDM community. And there were I was so inspired by so many rave influencers, which is a thing within the EDM community. And I thought they were just the most independent, beautiful women showing off the most beautiful outfits with the coolest hair and the coolest makeup. And they were advertising these small business products. And I thought, wow, I really feel for the small businesses. I want to help them out. I want to wear all these cool things. I want to feel sexy and be myself on my off hours and do all these fun things. So I thought, okay, I'll make a TikTok account and start making a few videos for reviews for questions that I had as a buyer. Hopefully maybe someone would find them interesting. And then it turned into, wow, people are listening to what I have to say. And I do actually have some valuable information that could make a difference. And then I thought, why not combine medicine with my love for EDM and actually continue to make a difference, especially to the youth who may listen and make a positive impact in the world, which is what I love to do. Wow. Thank you for sharing. That is yeah, it's a long-winded answer. No, you're so well spoken. Seriously. I mean it. And no, it's you. just amazing to hear one that you were able to come together in community with the people in your neighborhood. Because I think that that's sometimes what holds me back from going to shows. So I'm a I'm a past life raver. <laughs> I haven't oh, been in a few years. It's yeah. not because I don't want to go. It's because I'm like, where? I don't have a crew anymore that I can go with. I, I did go to EDC has been my favorite. EDC over Coachella to anyone listening. If you're ever thinking 100%. about it, do 100%. not go to Coachella. Save your money. 100%. Do not. And I love it. And I feel like even then I was still coming into my own a little bit, like nowhere near where I am as embodied now. But it was a different experience. And so now when I was looking at your videos and looking at the hair and the outfit, it just feels like this embodiment. It feels symbolic of this is how comfortable I am in my truth and in how I want to show up and in how I want to celebrate myself and my expression. I think that that is just so incredible. And it's incredible that you were doing it from a place of lifting up small businesses too. And now you're able to intermix your two passions, medicine and fun and educate others. And I think that this kind of comes into the interesting conversation of when you started creating content, what fears came up for you or what boundaries did you feel like you have to set to really create that spaciousness and yet the meaningful intersection between medicine and raving? That's such a good question. And it was such an interesting journey and one that I was not prepared for when this first started. So when I started making a couple of videos, like literally three people saw them and I didn't think anything of it. And then I kind of started talking a little bit more about the medicine side of things because I did see, you know, in all my experiences raving that there is a huge obsession with vaping and also room to talk about harm reduction, which is very important to me. So I started making a couple of videos and then that started skyrocketing really quickly. And then at the same time, I was also starting my first adult job outside of my medical training. And I didn't even know what to expect there either. And then I was like, oh my God, my coworkers are going to see these videos. What do I need to do? Do I, am I going to be okay? Can I get fired? I have no idea. And I actually did get approached by my employer and they were like, Hey, we heard you're making videos and we want to meet with you and go over what you need to know. And then I learned that there are liability things that, you know, what I say could put me and my employer at jeopardy for certain things. So those were new areas I had to be conscious about. And then there were fears of, okay, what if I get too big and people start looking me up and they want to know where I work or where I live or like danger things. And so there's always things that now I'm very conscious of that I have to be very careful about. And I have to be conscious of who I represent in the workplace. But you know, after I kind of learned where those boundaries were or what things I can and can't do or where I shouldn't cross and how valuable my word is and how backed up everything I say has to be and uh, evidence-based is what I'm trying to get at. You know, I've been a lot more conscious about that to mm -hmm. say the least. So I think that nothing really prepares you for that without having just go dive into it head first. Mm -hmm. And I was at first embarrassed, then mm -hmm. scared, 
and now I'm thriving in it because I know exactly where, how far I can go with things and in what directions I want to go in. And so I do want to grow my page and express myself more, but in a safe way where, you know, I'm not putting myself or my loved ones in harm and I'm making that difference. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Thank you for sharing. Was there at any point during that journey where you were like, I'm done. Maybe I don't want to make videos. Like I'm out. Should I even be doing this? And what kept you in it? At first, when my employer wanted to do that meeting with the lawyers of the hospital, I was like, oh God, what have I done? (laughs) (laughs) But then I learned that, you know, there are very successful medical TikTokers who can continue that dream and that balance. And there were so many rave influencers that were also doing it, who I looked up to. And a lot of the people I look up to online are a lot younger than me, which I think is hilarious. (laughs) Like Julia Rose, for example, she is a medical student and she's very big in the community, but she She's doing it and she's doing it very tastefully. And so I kind of strived to be like her to say the least. Mm. And so that kind of motivated me to keep going. And I always just kept telling myself, well, like if they can do it, I can do it too. So don't Mm. give up, keep Mm. trying. And so I do have a lot of ideas that I want to put out there in the future, Some of my roadblocks have been a lot of my personal things in my life. Right now, I am in the midst of the very beginning of my independent career. Mm -hmm. I am also getting married, so I'm planning my wedding. I'm also studying for my last critical care boards right now. And I'm also trying to do everything else like everyone else my age is trying to buy a house, (laughs) try to buy a car, start a family, like all those fun things. So I had to prioritize my mental health because I do think that TikTok and social media can be very draining. And so I had to take that step back and say, I'm going to focus on me for now, put social media to the side for a second, but I'm going to come right back once I have a little bit more brain space. And so that's kind of my plan right now. Wow. Thank you for sharing. One congratulations on (laughs) your upcoming wedding and all the things that you're doing. That's so amazing. I think New York and the New York area, it's really easy to stack up and be like, I'm doing all these things. It's so, so natural. And it's much harder to backpedal and take things away. And so it's amazing that you're like, hey, I have my life. I have my loved ones. I still have the shows that I'm passionate about, but maybe I don't need to share it as much while I'm in this transitionary period. And like your content still lives on. It's there. It's so valuable. And I love that you talked about harm reduction and vaping as the topics that you help educate ravers on. Because like you said, it is very, very prevalent in the community. A lot of the different things that are used to support a supplementation for your experience, as I like to call it. But before we get into more of the fun lung health and things like that, because I teach breath work and that's super important to me. So when you said you're a lung doctor by trade, I was like, this is perfect. (laughs) But how do you maintain work-life balanced amidst everything that you're doing beyond taking a break from social? What are your keys to staying sane? (laughs) That's a good question. (laughs) I actually got an award in residency for best house officer for work-life balance, actually. So I guess people keep telling me I'm really good at it and I'm just doing my normal thing. (laughs) But I'm the type of person that takes a step back and look at the big picture. And the way that I look at everything is that we are all ants on a melon. And like our time on this earth is very finite and small in the grand scheme of things. And so we always have to remember that we are just human beings and doing the best that we can and to help others as best as we can. And so, you know, when I was in training and I had grown a little bit in authority every step of the way, I always valued making sure that, you know, everyone that I worked with took the time to take care of themselves along the way. And so I would send medical students home if they were like pregnant or had kids or just like something that they had to tend to at home because you can, you're going to be learning for the rest of your life. But if you need this time now to take care of yourself, you should. And so throughout my education, I kind of had that same mentality for myself where I would do whatever I needed to keep me good and then continue to do good for the world and society and whatever else I can do. And so I think the pandemic broke me and a lot of people in this field. I think we were all stretched super thin and we just became really numb to negativity and death and all these horrible things that came with the COVID pandemic. And I realized that I was losing touch with myself and I was losing my touch with people. And so when I found my neighbors and my friends, my core rave group, my everything, and we decided to 
go to a couple of shows, I realized in these shows, I could completely let go. And I could just put all that stuff on a shelf for a moment and just relieve all of that pent up stress and anxiety that I had. And for a minute, just stop thinking about medicine. And I, it was the best therapy I've ever had. And I continue to do that at every show that I go to where I just become this alter ego and just release all that pent up stress from work. And I come back feeling so much better and I'm more focused at work. I'm happier and I'm a better doctor, to be quite honest. One of my favorite things to do is like what we just did at Moonrise. We were watching the last set and Slander was closing. The music was so loud and we were at the front of the stage. I just, me and my friends got into a circle and we just screamed at the top of our lungs into the air and it didn't bother anybody. And it was super relieving. And that's a moment I'll never forget. And I just felt like a thousand pounds were lifted off my shoulder just from doing that. And so I think that making sure that I'm doing the best that I can at work and then reserving that space, that me time to relax has been the best therapy. And it's the healthiest therapy. It's the most expensive therapy. <laughs> working. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Slander. You mentioning Slander brought me back oh, to like so crying during love is gone and all the lights uh, and you're all holding each other. Oh where did yeah. I, see them? I just saw them at a festival for the first time <sighs> and we were all dancing and we we're literally headbanging. <laughs> and then I turned to my friend and I'm like wiping tears and I was like, is this cry banging? I didn't even realize I was doing it. It was just that moving. It was so good. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that. It seems like when you take the space to yourself, because sometimes we go on vacation, but we bring our work laptop or, you know, you're on call kind of, you know, you have your other phone with you, but like, it seems like when you go there, you completely disconnect. You're like, I am not. And I mean, there's no service. You have to be disconnected. Right. So hopefully you don't get lost from your friends that yeah, no. <laughs> I got myself lost during ADC and I called all the people in our group one person answered and they're like golden leaf at 4 a.m and I'm like <laughs> okay and I got myself found but then, you know okay tangent anyway totally know what you mean totally yeah. know what you mean so it's just like you completely disconnect and you give yourself space to enter a different reality in which it's also very normalized to move how you want to move, dance how you want to move, express yourself how you want to scream, whatever emotions need to come through in the space of holistic healing. There's a lot of talk about somatic embodiment, getting into your body, proprioception, being aware of where your body is in space, right? And that is a healing modality to come in contact with some of the emotional expression that you might not have been able to release or express in your day-to-day -day life with the stress that you carry or the day-to-day -day tasks or really anything that your body might be storing. And not only is this space really healing because you're coming into community, but you're also just letting your body do what it wants to do. And that's accepted. So I think it's so cool that you're doing that and also the complete disconnection. And I encourage everyone to find a place where you're in community, where you can move your body and where it's just so accepted to be and express how you want to, because that's what we're coming down to here. Like that is so healing and that's so powerful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I'm really grateful that the rave community exists where I really can just be myself. I can wear whatever I want. I can put my hair in any way that I want. And it, it's just positivity all around. And that is the dream community that I've always look to be a part of and I didn't know it existed when I was in my 20s so I just stumbled into it and I'm just so happy to see where we've come with it and I feel like I have found more family and togetherness in the rave community than I have in any other community yeah. and I'm part of so many other ones and but it's definitely my favorite for sure what I'm feeling called to ask you is about just finding that community too because I think a lot of people want to take that first step but they're like none of my friends do this or I don't know any communities that are like doing what I want to be doing. So how do you have any advice for like how people can step into that community? I know you found your neighbors, but what was that? Was it just like knocking on their door or like sending them a text or saying, I'm going to the show. Do you want to come? What is that first step to finding community? That is a good question. I came from a background where I never really identified with any community for the longest time. I come from a non-religious background 
my parents were separated and were Turkish in origin. And I didn't know any other Turkish people. I couldn't even speak the language that well. And I had a really hard time connecting with people my age throughout uh, my younger years. And so I always held on to finding where I fit in in this world. And I've been parts of other communities like the art community, the medical community, but I never felt like I truly connected with anyone or anything to the truest sense of the form. And so admittedly, I was very scared when I was a lot younger to branch out of that. And I was on a train track where I was told to do certain things and I have to stay on it to get to the end goal. And you got to you got to give 100%. I met a lot of people along the way, you know, went through a lot of world traveling, a lot of heartbreak, a lot of frustrations. And I realized that towards the end of my train track, I had exhausted 100% of myself. I was at the end of the end of my line. <laughs> I was done. I was like, I had given it 100% and I'm just not happy. And I am scared that I might be missing out. And then at that same time period, I very luckily met my very good friends by accident because I crashed one of my friends date nights and <laughs> then I got her number and then we started hanging out and we connected on the most obscure thing mid conversation. I just name dropped. I was like, oh, this is an artist that you probably have never heard of. And she was like, try me. I was like, all right, you know, Dioro. She was like, I love Dioro. I was like, wait a minute. So <laughs> do you want to go see a show? And we were both kind of scared ish because we're the same age, we're older. And we're like, is that weird if we go like in our thirties to see Dior? And we're like, you know, it's great. We'll just go together and see how where this goes. And then here we are. Now I'm talking to you and doing all these things. And I think it just take requires taking that first step, which is very scary feeling. But if you have good intents in it, you're gonna find somebody or the people that you will click with. And that opened up so many doors. And I realized that when I was introduced to this newer community, which was one that I didn't even know existed, I felt finally at home. I was like, these people understand me. I can finally do what I've always wanted to do and I'm not gonna get judged for it. And I finally found my family, my home and what makes me feel whole again and found my place. Thank you so much. That's so beautiful. It brings a lot of hope to me too. And thank you for sharing about your experience with not feeling super connected or like you had a group throughout growing up, because I think that was my experience too. I felt like I was a floater through a lot of different environments, a lot of different people. And now I'm starting to cultivate community, but I feel much more connected to people one-on-one. And so my model of friendship is like, Hey, I'm part of groups, but is that really where I feel most fulfilled? And so figuring out how can I be a part of community but also having one-on-one meaningful friendships and really navigating that dynamic. So I think it's amazing to hear that friendship and community can come in many different forms in many different ways in many different times in life. It's just really reassuring. And not to knock the medical community. I'm happy to be part of it, but I do feel that within medicine, there's a lot of very strict borders and things where, you know, you can't cross and etc. And so I'm happy. I'm part of many other communities, but I think the one I relate to the most is this one. Mm, Yeah. And how are ways that you show up as yourself in the medical community? I'm sure harm reduction is one of them, putting your patients first, but what are other little ways that you feel like you can be your true self in the medical community? I think advocating for the patient and sticking to your guns and your judgment Mm -hmm. and what you think is right. And that is very much me. Like I won't let anything go past me if I can prevent it, if I feel like that is the right moral thing to do. Um, That's very much like in my personality and it could come off as annoying, but it's what I would want the doctors taking care of me to do. And so my big thing is, bringing in 100% of my attention and my concentration to details and carrying out what the plans should be as evidence-based as they can and making sure that I'm giving 100% every time, Mm. to say the least. I'm hearing authenticity, confidence, and integrity are the ways that you live your life by on all the avenues. And that can apply no matter which community you're in. Um, how did you build the confidence to show up as your full self? Because we can all show up to a community, but it takes you taking that first step to be like, okay, I'm in this space and this is me. Is it okay to be me in this space? 
That's a good question. I was truthfully super inspired by so many of the beautiful young people online that are rave fluencers. And I always thought, wow, you know, so-and-so is so lucky. Like they look like that and they get to to wear that and they look great in every photo and there's just this free body. And then I would look back at myself for the last five to 10 years. I'm like, I never got to wear what I really wanted to wear. I do love color and I love music and I love expression. I, I was born an artist and I haven't been doing art. I'm not expressing myself in the way that I was able to do before medicine. And I think the first couple rave outfits that I got, you know, these businesses are very small. They're literally like one person making these outfits out of their basement or their garage or something. And like the first couple outfits I got at home and I put it on, I was like, what? I was like, I have this body. Like I can do this. I look great. I was like, yeah. Oh my God. I'm never going to experience this again. Today is the, and I say this all the time to my friends. I'm like, this is the hottest I'm ever going to look. My is <laughs> not going to get any prettier. This is it. Like <laughs> people need to know. <laughs> so I was like, oh my God, holy shit, I can do this. And so mm. then I realized that the people that I looked up to are just regular people. They're just mm. people that decided to do what they've always wanted to do. And I thought, well, why can't I? And I love it. And I hope that I can show that to other people. And, you know, I saw it when I was younger in my 20s. I saw some of my friends get to live this life. And I always told myself, like, no, no, you can't. You're a doctor. You have to go to medical school and study super hard and be home on the weekends and save money and do all these things. And then now, you know, fast forward to the end of my training, I'm seeing Julia Rose, that medical influencer I just talked about. She's living that life now. And she figured that out light years before I did. I was like, oh my God, I just missed out 10 years that I could have been doing all of this. <laughs> and so I just hope that the younger generations as they're coming into age, that they know that, you know, you don't need to set these crazy boundaries for yourself. You can live your life. You just have to be a good person and want to be the best person that you can be and do good. And you can still have all this fun. It's possible. There's ways to do it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for sharing. What I'm hearing is that there's a difference between the stories we tell ourselves and what's actually true. And a lot of the stories we tell ourselves are like, we tell ourselves that, oh, I can't do this program or I can't spend my time like this because I do this. And it's like, well, why can't you be someone that raves even though you work a nine to five or you work as a doctor? Why can't you do that? There are these arbitrary stories that we make up, these standards that we set ourselves to. And it's like, who, I don't know, who who's out here with a report card measuring you like, yes, you fit the bill for this perfect box versus you yeah. didn't. It's, it's so funny how we do that. And even, even with myself, I'm actively trying to break the mold and break the stories and it's still uncomfortable. It's still hard to redefine the way you look at safety or security or for you maybe safety comes a lot from self-expression and comes a lot from sharing your knowledge with people perhaps whether that's through medicine or through raving but then you're reframing the security that you get from the safety of not being fully seen in yourself and your job and you're reframing it to like actually safety feels like self-expression and feels like authenticity to me maybe not necessarily keeping my truth hidden so that I'm safe in my job but actually being more in my truth than I've ever been so redefining what feels like safety so that you don't have to live by this report card that someone gives you and you can live by your own wonderful essay beautifully written life report that you want to make it yeah nobody's really judging you for it 100 <laughs> and I think it's also super important to understand and feel comfortable with the stigmas and what you know a lot of this can come with and then knowing that you are confident in yourself that you're not going to let those things bring you down that's another major thing too where all my years in medicine you know I was always told professionalism and the way it was taught to me was wearing a freshly pressed white coat and like the nicest outfits and your hair done really well. And if you're a male, you have to shave. And if you're a guy and you're not wearing a tie to clinic, it's a big deal. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Those are some of the boundaries that they were teaching us all these years in medical school. So the concept of having purple hair or nose piercing or a tattoo was like super taboo. 
And as my social media page was growing, there's still just a sprinkle of negativity here and there where people were like, oh, she probably does drugs or she's a terrible Mm -hmm. doctor, I bet, or I wouldn't want this person as my doctor. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of sad to see that so much of the public holds on to that stigma. But I felt that I know my capabilities. I know where I come from, where I've trained and my work ethic, and I'm giving 100% of me to my patients so that they get the best care out of me. And so I know that if I'm doing that, then my patients will understand what I do on my off time that has absolutely no relationship to what is happening in the hospital to them, to say mm-hmm. the least. Yeah. So I do think there's that level of maturity that has to come with it and comfort to know that there are people that are going to look at you funny. I don't think that mold of that thing was ever going to change. I really don't. I just think there's always going to be that one guy who just says something dumb and you're just like, oh, that's so sad for you. That's what you mm-hmm. think. But, you know, if you continue to do the right thing and then maybe if we all start doing that, then maybe one day it'll change. But I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident in myself. And I think that has helped kind of this blossoming, if you will. That's amazing. Yeah. I just, I want everyone to go back and listen to that one more time because there's always (laughs) going to be stigmas. There's always going to be critics, but rooting back into yourself, using your experience and your credentials as your authority to be like, no, I've got this and reroute back into your sense of self and knowing that because no one who is looking at you online or on a video could really truly know the experiences you've lived through the tapestry that is your life and your essence of what you bring to the table. And this brings up one of the things that we spoke about in our intro call, which is professionalism is not just how you look, which relates back to the ties and the hair. It's how you act to you. What are the key behavioral traits that are core or critical to professionalism? Very great question. I'm sure there's a lot of people that could word this a lot better. So I'm going to do my best, (laughs) but really what professionalism is at the fundamental core of it is in the world of medicine, it's putting your patient's needs before yours. It has nothing to do with how you dress or what you look like or what your gender is or your race or anything like that. It's everything to do with serving the patient. You know, medicine is a service. We have to do the best thing that we can for our patients. It has nothing to do with our aesthetics. So I think keeping that in mind, but also remembering that unfortunately in medicine, it doesn't end your nine to five, your professionalism does carry into after work as well. And that is something that I constantly keep in mind. So if, you know, if I have a patient that needs something, I will be there for them at any hour of the day in whatever capacity that I can. But I think just maintaining that mindset is super important and not getting influenced by other things because that would be the destruction of it all if we did. And so that is one thing I do love about our country and how we do practice medicine. It's patient-centered with the best intent that we can. So I think that most doctors that I know embody that to say the least. And I think that maybe folks who are outside of the field may not quite understand that. And they see, oh, if my doctor's not an old man with gray hair or with a white coat, they're probably not a good doctor and they're not professional. I'm like, no, it has nothing to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. So what I'm hearing is putting people first, and especially in your industry for you, professionalism is putting other people first. And so There doesn't really lie a question of how can you be professional and still be yourself? Because if you are a person that cares about other people and knows what you're doing, it's kind of like a little easier to complete the two. It's not the professionalism doesn't have to come in conflict with who you are. They can be in tandem. And so I think that's really beautiful. And that kind of brings us into harm reduction. I know you mentioned it was something really important to you. And so can you tell everybody what is harm reduction? I don't know the best way to define it other than really truly what it is, is that in any effort, in any capacity to reduce health detriment or health harm, essentially. And so I would support any modality that would do that. And I think a lot of that stems from education and making wise choices and making informed decisions about whatever you might be doing to your body. And so if I could provide that in any form or capacity, I'm all for it. Mm, Thank you for sharing. 
in terms of harm reduction, what are educated decisions that we can make in service, ensuring that we don't put ourselves in danger, whether that's related to lung health or the things that we do, because there's a lot of pollution in cities. There's a lot of stuff going on at raves and just like a lot of things that we come into contact with. So how can we make decisions best in service of our health, our lung health, things like that? I think asking good questions, making sure that you're able to talk to your healthcare provider about anything you're not sure of before you ingest it or, or whatever uh, are some of the easiest and best first steps that we can take. I think harm reduction can stem from very benign things all the way to like illicit substances and, and anything in between. There's a lot of environmental factors that we don't have control over that could affect our, our overall health. But if you take the appropriate precautions, then you might be doing yourself a huge favor. That could be as simple as making sure you're up to date with your preventatives or your age-appropriate cancer screening, all the way to, you know, when you should be wearing a mask if you're in a crowded area and you're immune suppressed, to making sure that you talk to your healthcare provider about any advertised substances that could help detox your body or any of those extra things that uh, you could come into. In the rave community, there are a lot of things that I've seen as you know, a physician in the crowd that kind of worried me about the younger population at these things. And so I saw a ton of vaping, a ton of misinformation, a lot of sharing of things that go up people's noses and in their mouths. And I was just like, wow, this could be totally preventable. And, you know, we could do a better job educating ourselves about these things. You know, one of my favorite things is hearing about the Wook flu, which is kind of what the raver community advertises as feeling sick after a major festival. And there's a lot of sharing of nasal vapors and water hydropacks. You know, everyone's like putting their spit on everything and wiping their noses on everything. I'm like, you know, if we just stop that, we probably would significantly decrease our rate of, you know, spreading these very common viruses amongst all of each other when we're like all in crowded places. But then there's also the very scary stuff, like the fatal events from drug overdoses that a lot of them are unintentional. And that's very scary. And so I do promote making sure that if you are going to partake, you do it as safe as you can to lessen any harm or risk that you would be taking. And so I, I would and am a big supporter of testing your materials, whether there's so many ways that we could do that that are so easy to get access to. And so there really is no reason not to, you know, in this day and age, essentially. And so most of the unintentional drug overdoses that happen at raves are purely by accident. You know, we don't know what's in these substances that are handed to us from strangers. And a lot of them could cause life-threatening things that were preventable from the start. So I think there's a lot of room to talk about all sorts of things from our day-to-day exposures to what we see at the festivals that we go to and everything in between. And I want to be part of that to educate and inform and try to push for smarter choices. And so that's what I hope to do with my platform. Yeah, thank you. Your content, especially around vaping, really stood out to me because that's something that I was addicted to for very many years on and off. But in the last few years that I was vaping, I was going through like one of those box things, 2,500 hits every four days, clockwork, like not wow. <laughs> like he says it all. Like it was oh my God. <laughs> It's okay. Like You're a like, lot of people. Uh, I quit and it was right around Thanksgiving. So I came home, came home to the family on like full of nicotine withdrawals. So my mom was like, why do you choose to do this now? And I'm like, at least I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah, and it, you. thank you. Like it was, I'm very, very proud that I got off of it. And at the same time, I just see how normalized it is still. Like, I know how normal it felt to me. I didn't necessarily feel good about it, but I noticed it was a substitute for self-care. Like every time I would be stressed or feel like tension, I would self-soothe. And as soon as I realized that that was a sorry excuse for taking care of myself, it was actually doing the opposite. That's when I knew I had to like, let it go. And so cold turkey I tried nicotine patches, but they didn't really help me. It was more like sheer determination and willpower. But I really love that you're doing education about that. And if you're able to speak at all to vaping and why we might want to reconsider that habit, whether that's long-term health effects, short-term, just what it does to our lungs. Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, 
I hate saying it like this because it, it's really it shouldn't be thought of in a positive way, but it is in a form considered to be potentially a bit of harm reduction as well, because you're not smoking formal cigarettes or cigars. So technically, yeah, it's a better modality. I remember coming across the papers marketing vaping like that. I was just like, is it? Is it better? But I think that in terms of what it poses as a risk for the future is so unknown. I mean, you're you're literally inhaling combusted materials that are not well studied. And we've already seen pre-pandemic in 2019 how devastating vape lung injury was to our population. And now it's advertised as, oh, now it's filtered, so it's fine. So like vape lung injury doesn't exist anymore like the way that it did, which it's it's not convincing enough to me, to say the least. I do hope that I could speak on this more in the future on my platform with a lot more evidence on it. It's just the data is is just still evolving, unfortunately. I think what people don't realize is that our lungs are very rudimentary systems. Like they're literally just little batches of cells that are just single cell lined air sacs. And they're only built for air, unfortunately. And everyone hates that answer. Everyone on my platform is like, no, but you can smoke this tea leaf. I'm like, no, you can't smoke anything. You just, you can only breathe in air. That's literally all it's designed for. Its goal is to bring air from the outside through this tissue sac into your blood. It's not meant for truly anything else. And It has some beautiful regenerative properties, but they're so rudimentary, so small, so minute, and all it can do is try to keep itself dry and toxin-free. So there is no, unfortunately, there's no great repair that you can buy or detox system or anything else you could smoke to make anything better. The best thing you can do for your health and your long-term health is to just don't smoke anything and stay away from injury and insult if you can. Yeah. So essentially there's no repair kit and like secondhand smoke pollution is going to, it's a reality that we live in, but from what I'm hearing, finding opportunities to get out into clear nature, get away from the stuff, reduce your exposure as much as possible. Maybe don't burn things inside your home, which I definitely burn like sage and stuff. So I'm like, oh man, I should open some windows, but like, I, I, mean, I do too. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Time to time. That's okay. Yeah. And why is our lung health so important to even be mindful about? Absolutely. So naturally, as we age, every 10 years or so, our lung function does decline to some degree. And when you compound that with genetics and environmental factors, that rate of deceleration can go a lot faster. And so that could pose a risk if we get older and you have many other comorbidities that depend on your optimal lung function. It could translate to feeling much more winded, much more shorter breath poor functional capacity, inability to do the normal activities of daily living that you like to do. And for some permanent damage, like relying on oxygen for the rest of your life. And so I think that optimizing your lung health serves you really well as you age. And if you do unfortunately develop some other comorbidity where your body just doesn't have that reserve, you're going to be doing yourself a huge dissatisfaction if your lung is already at a compromised state at that point. That makes sense. That's super helpful. In regards to declining lung health, are there any ways to help your lungs as you grow older? Can breath work and things like that support you? Certain kinds of workouts, maybe like lung workouts. I know there's a lot of study on Wim Hof breathing or other breath work techniques, like things that help change how much air you can take in or breath holds or things like that. Can any of those be supportive to maintaining a certain level of lung function? I like to think so. You know, I think that our lung function, our breathing capacity is more than just the tissue of our lungs or in medicine called the parenchyma of our lungs. There are other vital parts of the machine that matter tremendously, like the muscles in our neck and our shoulder and our back and our ribs that have to expand and contract. And our weight, our body habitus that is pressing on the outside of our chest wall on our lungs, making our lungs have to work harder to push against. Mm -hmm. So I think things that we could do to optimize the system would be, you know, diet and exercise, easier said than done. Everyone Mm -hmm. preaches it for a reason because it does work, Mm -hmm. making sure that you don't have that excessive 
weight where your body has to work a little bit harder to breathe. Mm -hmm. And then I personally believe any form of exercise is great. I did adopt in the last three years, a pretty intense cardio and lifting routine. And I feel amazing. Like I feel Mm -hmm. like my capacity is better and it has helped me tremendously. So I do think that any form, whether it be weightlifting or actual cardio in any form could be beneficial in the long run. That also helps keep your lungs clear because your lungs have this way of doing it at a cellular level has a lot to do with you breathing in and out. And I think of it as sweeping all the gas and all the junk out of your lungs. Mm -hmm. So exercise, a healthy diet, maintaining a normal weight are all really, really good things that we can do in the long run. And it helps you look good when you're like out there raving. You're like, I can dance all night long and I can look good doing it because I got that lung capacity. Part of the exercising that I've been doing is just like, now I can wear the outfits that I've always wanted to wear (laughs) and look okay in it. So it's good. It's a healthy, positive, you know, reinforcement thing. Yeah, it's a positive cycle. Absolutely. Um, I'm curious, is there what we're breathing in through our mouth versus in through our nose? Are we supporting our lung health? better one way or the other? Yes and no. I think that breathing techniques are so, so valuable Mm -hmm. for the obstructive lung populations or people who unfortunately have COPD slash emphysema or asthmatics, for example, or folks with really intense anxiety. I think that breathing techniques are key. And that is one of the focuses of pulmonary rehab. And so I'm a big supporter of that. And that has a lot of value. I think in the healthy population, it's more, I don't know the literature behind it, but I would say Mm -hmm. that it probably has a really great utility for mental health and anxiety Mm -hmm. for sure. I think that those techniques could be very valuable in those spheres and realms. And I would say it's something I would support in general. Mm -hmm. There's no harm to it and only great, great benefits. Amazing. Awesome. Yeah. So maybe more like nervous system changes in your nervous system state would come Mm -hmm. from employing one certain technique over another. Um, And there may be a lot of value in it for advanced athletes. I'm sure like folks mm -hmm. who run very long distances. I don't know the science behind that, but I'm sure they have to have like their breathing technique in a certain way for a certain reason. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of like long distance athletes, uh, I want to know what living to the finish line means to you. I know I just did a quick pivot, but you brought up that term in our first conversation and that really stuck with me about living for the finish line versus not. What you mentioned was that you realized that you didn't want to just live for the finish line and that there was so much more to life that you could be experiencing. And you gave yourself permission to live and experience that. And I just want everyone to hear your wonderful explanation of it. Yes, it's a great statement. I wish I remembered saying it. (laughs) (laughs) It is the concept that I live by in that I was in such a small little box for so many years. And I think that, and I keep reverting back to this, but the pandemic really just opened my eyes to what else is out there and how how much I'm missing out on. And now I'm on this quest to experience it all and take in as much of this world as I can with the, the time that I have left in it. And so I just have so much love to give, so much love to share, so much information I want to put out there and so many experiences I want to have. And I hope that I can share that with anyone listening as much as I can, because our time here is finite and why not live it up while you can? There's no reason that we need to be compacting ourselves into these boxes that someone else thought of. This doesn't make much sense to me. Yeah. Thank you. That was so beautifully said. And thank you so much for sharing everything you have. I want to leave the space open. Is there anything else you're feeling called to share with the audience, with the listeners? Thank you. Just be yourself and it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) No matter what you go, no matter what you do, every path is okay. And even if you get a call from your employer going, hey, let's talk about how you're going to make it work. It's okay. They just want to make sure that you're all going to be safe and you're all covered. And it doesn't mean stop red light. It just means proceed with caution. It's not a stop. (laughs) Where can listeners find you, connect with you and keep up with what you are sharing? You can definitely find me on TikTok. I'm also very active on my Instagram. And I want to say that's where I'm at mostly most of these days. So for sure, check me out there. And what are the handles? I'll link them down below, but just so we have them out loud on the podcast. So my handle on TikTok is Doc D and my Instagram handle is pants are for losers. I'm carrying that through from the eighth grade and I refuse to change it. 
And it's the number four. (laughs) (laughs) I absolutely love that. When I went from your TikTok to your Instagram, I was like, am I in the right place? I was like, I mean, it's a direct link. I don't know what else. (laughs) That's why on TikTok, my other name is Dr. No Pants Girl because of my Instagram. And I just get a kick out of like, you know, some of my medical colleagues who add me and they're like, Dr. No Pants Girl. I'm like, yes, yes. Full confidence. (laughs) You're like, yep, that that would be me. I love that. Correct. (laughs) You're you're inspiring me to come into a new level of embodiment because in my nine to five, I definitely say some weird, I say some weird things. (laughs) They're like, like, what'd you spend your weekend doing? I'm like, ah, breath work in in Florida, sat in some, you know, sat in a ceremony. They're like, what? Yeah. And uh, we had a town hall at some point where they asked me, they're like, you know, what's your secret talent? I'm like, I teach people how to breathe correctly. And they're like, all right, next time we're all doing breathing exercises. I'm like, okay, sounds good. That's my dream to bring breath work into a corporate realm or yoga meditation. That's the secret sauce, how I'm going to weave my way through. But (laughs) I would would love to incorporate what you do to my practice. I think there's definitely a connection there. And I think it sounds so good. I want to explore that. Oh my gosh. It's so powerful. It's like truly just a way to tap into your body and regulate your nervous system. So this has been so, so valuable in so many ways. Again, I keep saying it, but you truly are so multidimensional, so multi-passionate and you live in integrity and all the different avenues in which you show up. You're so well-spoken. You have so much wealth of knowledge and you're so true to yourself. And so thank you so much for taking the time to share uh, your journey with me and with everyone listening. I'm so, so grateful. I'm so grateful to be a part of this too. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciated it. Sending a huge thank you to Dr. D for all of her wisdom that she brought to the podcast from life to living authentically to carving out your own path and knowing that you have to live in alignment with what feels good to you and maintain the integrity, maintain the intentionality with which you approach things but not letting the standards that society defines you by define you not letting the rule book or the way that things are supposed to be played actually impact the way that you play out your life. You are the creator of your own reality. You get to choose what makes you feel good, what makes you enjoy your life, what helps you feel connected to the world around you, what helps you find work-life balance, what helps you move through stress and tension, and what helps you get grounded in yourself, what helps you feel like your best self. And Dr. D just totally embodies that confidence, that authenticity and integrity, both in her professional life and in her personal life. And so I just commend her so much. I think there were so many nuggets of wisdom on this podcast and I cannot wait to hear what y'all thought. Send me a DM at Evolve with Sasha or you can reach me here in the Spotify comment section or wherever you get your podcasts. I am so excited. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your energy with me today. I cannot wait to see you so, so soon. And in the meantime, have a wonderful week.